Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Welcome to Keep the Faith. Thank you for joining me today as we delve further into the deliverance of God's people. I thank the Lord that He has preserved my life these many years and given me the chance to proclaim His most important message to all who will listen to me. I pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen today. We will study the wonderful providence of God in the Israelites' deliverance, but we will also look at the message below the surface in the amazing story of deliverance. Before we begin, I want to urge you to become a literature missionary. You know, literature work will be one of the last ministries to be done before Jesus comes, and I pray that you will experience the blessing by doing this work. So few are doing it. It seems like there isn't much fruit, but it is God that waters the seeds and gives increase. Don't be afraid. The Lord will protect you and guide you. Pick up some copies of History of Tomorrow from Keep the Faith to give away. I'll give you the number in a minute. I also want to tell you about a new DVD set called Liberty of Conscience Threatened. On it is 10 sermons by Pastor Stephen Bohr, Pastor Isaac Alachunji, and myself. You will find it most enlightening. This DVD set covers events and information that explains how the Trump administration fulfilled Bible prophecy and other end-time prophecies. This five-DVD set is packed with material that you can use. You can order it from Keep the Faith. Call our office at 540-672-3553. Just ask for the Liberty of Conscience DVD set. It's not expensive at all. And be sure and order some History of Tomorrow, too. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. We ask that he will be with us today as we study. Open to us the word of life and teach us the things we should know. We need to think about the end times and the coming deliverance of your people. We sense a foreboding and we realize time is shorter than ever and we are farther down the track than we thought. Our subject today is of great importance to us, so bless us, we pray. May Jesus reign in our hearts and give us victory over the enemy. In his precious name, amen. Turn with me to Exodus 3, verse 16 to 22. Here Moses is directed to to approach the elders of Israel with a message that they are to work together 
and seek permission to go to the wilderness to sacrifice to God. A sacrifice is an act of worship, and Israel had gotten out of the habit of reverence for worship and the Sabbath. So God said he would bring them up out of Egypt. God's word is something that can be relied on. It will happen. It is not uncertain. Whenever God speaks, his power is in his words. We have a whole book filled with the words of God to give us plenty of power. It is written so that in every circumstance of life, we will have guidance and power. God's word may not come to pass immediately, but it will certainly come to pass. And it is a great encouragement to know that we can expect what God says will happen. God has seen what the enemy has done to us in this world. He sees our history. He knows all that we are subject to. He sees all our affliction, and his word says he will deliver us. It will happen. It is not uncertain. If we are given over to the Lord, he will regard us tenderly, even though we may be going through hell on earth. God has given us warning that the enemy will not let us go easily, especially to worship God as he requires. He will try to hang on to us. He will try to distract us. He will try to cause us to lose sight of Christ. He will even resort to persecution to get us to comply with his rebellion. Christ will have to deliver his people with an outstretched arm and by a mighty deliverance. Because the enemy doesn't want to let them go and he is very mighty but not as mighty as the God of heaven. The Egyptians had their day of probation. God worked with them for many years, but they rejected all of God's appeals. They could have learned of God's Sabbath and true worship. They could have been a nation that honored God and enjoyed the privileges and benefits with the Hebrews of being God's people. But they turned from all that and went their own way. The Israelites had lost sight of the true worship of, and were to learn how to worship God again. But God forewarned Moses that Pharaoh would not let the people go. They were now quite important to the economy of Egypt, and Pharaoh was suspicious that they would not return or that they would return with ideas and obligations that would disrupt their workflow. Turn forward a couple of chapters to the fifth chapter of Exodus, verses 1 to 3. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice, to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews met with us. Let us go, we pray thee. Three days' journey into the desert, 
and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Notice that when Moses was with the elders of Israel, he uses the term, God of your fathers. But now with Pharaoh, he uses the term, the God of Israel. This is the first time in Scripture the term is used. God gives a promise to his people of deliverance with the intent to give them control of a goodly land. But first, he asked them to worship him and learn of him. That's the way he is with us. He will only deliver us if we seek him and learn of him. Moses is to tell Pharaoh that they are going three days' journey into the wilderness to worship. He touches on two tender points with Pharaoh, his honor and his economic base. Moses essentially said that the Israelites serve a higher God than the Egyptians, and that the Egyptian ruler was subject to God, even if he didn't want to acknowledge his preeminence. It was too humbling for Pharaoh to acknowledge the God of heaven, so his request crossed his pride, and therefore his self-made honor. God's people will call on all people, every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, to keep the true Sabbath instead of the apostate Sunday. Instead of admitting that they are in error and submitting to God's requirements, the rulers and people at the end time will reject the Sabbath and create Sunday laws and other oppressive enactments as a means of protecting their honor. This will bring greater stress on God's people who try to worship God as he requires. God must also undo the economic system of Egypt and destroy it because it was pressuring his people not to keep his commandments. He would deliver them to Canaan where he could establish an economic system according to his principles that reflect the love and generosity of the gospel that says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Government handouts from a welfare state enslaves the poor to systems and consequences that keep them in poverty. Selfish capitalism, which closes its hand to the poor, is also not God's plan either. Besides, Israel had to comply with rules and regulations in all other areas of government that required them to do things that are against God's will. That's the way the enemy always works. God's end-time people will face the same thing. God will right wrongs through their deliverance. He will free them from the slavery designed to keep them loyal to an unjust economic system, just as verily as he delivered the Israelites from bondage in Egypt. Moses and Aaron delivered the message to to the elders of Israel and was accepted of his brethren. Then they went to Pharaoh. Listen to Patriarchs and Prophets, page 257. The two brothers entered the palace of the pharaohs as ambassadors from the king of kings. 
and they spoke in his name. Thus saith Jehovah, God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. That's Exodus 5.1. Pharaoh answered, Who is Jehovah, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not Jehovah, neither will I let Israel go. That's verse 2. Pharaoh had no veneration for the God of the Hebrews. When Aaron, speaking for Moses, said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us, let us go. We pray thee three days journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Pharaoh was pretty incensed. Patriarchs and Prophets 257 Tidings of Moses and Aaron, and of the interest that they were exciting among the people, had already reached the king. His anger was kindled. Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let or hinder the people from their works, he said. Get you to your burdens. Already the kingdom had suffered loss by the interference of these strangers. And at thought of this, he added, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. Exodus 5.4 Moses' request of Pharaoh was humble and reasonable. He said that their journey was not something that they had planned among themselves, but that God had met with them and had called them to go into the wilderness and worship. He kindly asks, without threats and with all due submission that is common in the palace of Pharaoh, We pray thee, he said. That's the way we should be when we need to request something from some authority. We are not to demand our rights and march in the street or burn down buildings. We are to be humble petitioners and leave the persuasion with God. He has power. He can do it. A long delay tries our patience, but if the cause is right, he will deliver or provide. The long delay merely tests our patience and matures us and should humble us. What Moses and Aaron ask is only for a short vacation to sacrifice to the Lord our God as other people do to theirs. And they had good reason to do so, lest they fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. These were words that the Egyptians understood. They themselves believed that if they didn't sacrifice to their own gods or worship according to the forms or rituals their gods required, the gods would take vengeance on them with some pestilence or disaster. Moses was suggesting to Pharaoh that they needed to go and worship and obey God in order that they may live. And after all, what good would his vassals be to Pharaoh if they were dead? Real living, though, is bound up with reverence and worship for God. When we become true Christians, that's when we start really living. Pharaoh's denial of the request shows his unreasonableness even to his own hurt. Moses was asking for religious liberty. 
religious liberty had been taken away from them, and Pharaoh knew or suspected that if he relented on this point, then the God of the Hebrews would require something else, and he would be called to agree to that. And there would be no end to the requests, and their work on his cities would suffer. His excuses are unreasonable and slanderous. He accuses them of being idle as the reason for the talk of religious retreat. They could not have been idle. Look at the cities they built and their other accomplishments. So Pharaoh basely misrepresents them and falsely accused them. Let them not regard vain words, verse 9. Pharaoh blames Moses for the trouble and causes him by implication of making the Israelites idle by vain words. He is accusing God in actuality. God's words he calls vain words. He has just crossed a line. God's words are not vain words. They have power to accomplish more than all the effort of the Egyptians and the Hebrews combined. Yet this is what many do today. They think God's words are empty and vain. They mean nothing. The same spirit of Egypt in defying God is seen in the atheist who thinks that Christianity is a crutch that only unintelligent and unenlightened people need. Smart people don't need God, they say. It is seen in the LGBTQ movement, too, which God punished with a very strict punishment for their defiance. It is seen in the nominal Christianity, where there is no vital power. Worship and retreat is necessary as a rest from labor. The human frame needs this rest. A day of rest is a day that you don't have to go out into the world and conduct business or work, sometimes winning, sometimes losing, always demanding more, applying talent and skill to earn a hard living. When you can come apart and rest for one full day, not having any worldly obligations to consume the attentions, the human family finds relief. But the enemy often represents the service of God as only fit for those who have nothing else to do. The business of only the idle. It is the indispensable duty of those that are busy, very busy, in this world to rest, because it provides them a retreat one day each week in which they can unplug and rejuvenate. It is actually the perfect solution for man's intensity. The Israelites asked for rest. They weren't exactly prepared for more work, which made their already difficult lives even more strenuous. They hardly had time for themselves as it was, and their lives were grueling, but now Pharaoh commands more work of them. Now they had to gather straw, too, and still produce the same amount of bricks. And if they did not, they would be punished. 
God's end-time, last-generation people will experience something akin to this during their affliction and distress in the time of trouble. Listen to this from Great Controversy, page 616. The people of God will then be plunged into those scenes of affliction and distress described by the prophet as the time of Jacob's trouble. Thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. All faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. That's Jeremiah 35-7. They will have deep anguish as they fear that they will dishonor God by an unconfessed and unforgiven sin. From Patriarchs and Prophets, page 56, we read, In the time of trouble, just before the coming of Christ, the righteous would be preserved through the ministration of heavenly angels. But there will be no security for the transgressor of God's law. Angels cannot then protect those who are disregarding one of the divine precepts. Listen to Great Controversy, page 619. Though God's people will be surrounded by enemies who are bent upon their destruction, yet the anguish which they suffer is not a dread of persecution for the truth's sake. They fear that every sin has not been repented of, and that through some fault in themselves they will fail to realize the fulfillment of the Savior's promise. I will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world." If they could have the assurance of pardon, they would not shrink from torture or death. But should they prove unworthy and lose their lives because of their own defects of character, then God's holy name would be reproached. On every hand they hear the plottings of treason and see the active working of rebellion, and there is aroused within them an intense desire an earnest yearning of soul, that this great apostasy may be terminated and the wickedness of the wicked may come to an end. But while they plead with God to stay the work of rebellion, it is with a keen sense of self-reproach that they themselves have no more power to resist and urge back the mighty tide of evil. They feel that had they always employed their ability in the service of Christ, going forward from strength to strength, Satan's forces would have less power to prevail against them. They afflict their souls before God, pointing to their past repentance of their many sins and pleading the Savior's promise, let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me. Isaiah 27.5 Their faith does not fail because their prayers are not immediately answered. Though suffering the keenest anxiety, terror, and distress, they do not cease their intercessions. They lay hold of the strength of God as Jacob laid hold of the angel, 
and the language of their soul is, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And from Great Controversy, page 621 and 622, this passage. The season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger, a faith that will not faint, though severely tried. The period of probation is granted to all to prepare for that time. Jacob prevailed because he was persevering and determined. His victory is an evidence of the power of importunate prayer. All who will lay hold of God's promises as he did and be as earnest and persevering as he was will succeed as he succeeded. Those who are unwilling to deny self, to agonize before God, to pray long and earnestly for his blessing, will not obtain it. Wrestling with God, how few know what it is. How few have ever had their souls drawn out after God with intensity of desire until every power is on the stretch. When waves of despair which no language can express sweep over the suppliant, how few cling with unyielding faith to the promises of God. The time of trouble such as never was is soon to open upon us, and we shall need an experience which we do not now possess and which many are too indolent to obtain. It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crisis before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. Every soul must stand for himself before God. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in the land, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Ezekiel 14.20 While the Israelites suffered external affliction, God's last day people will suffer internal affliction as well as external affliction. But the same faith was required of the Israelites as will be required of modern Israel. All their energies will be brought to focus during the last days. As the Israelites approach their soon coming deliverance, all the powers of church and state were arrayed against them. Pharaoh despised them and their religion. In his view, like every pre-Christian society, to have the favor of the gods meant that everyone within his territory had to comply with the religion of the state and worship the same way, or the gods would be angry and bring some evil, some disaster upon them. So he had to, no interest in letting people go and worship a different god, even if they left the country to do it. Moses forewarned the Israelites of the fact that Pharaoh would not give in. Likewise today, we are given the assurance that when worship becomes a test, the rulers of this world will not give in either. Notice these statements from Great Controversy 610. 
Persecution in its varied forms is the development of a principle which will exist as long as Satan exists and Christianity has vital power. No man can serve God without enlisting against himself the opposition of the host of darkness. Evil angels will assail him, alarmed that his influence is taking the prey from their hands. Evil men, rebuked by his example, will unite with them in seeking to separate him from God by alluring temptations. When these do not succeed, then a compelling power is employed to force the conscience. But so long as Jesus remains man's intercessor in the sanctuary above, the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit is felt by rulers and people. It still controls to some extent the laws of the land. Were it not for these laws, the condition of the world would be much worse than it is now. While many of our rulers are active agents of Satan, God also has his agents among the leading men of the nation. The enemy moves upon his servants to propose measures that would greatly impede the work of God. But statesmen who fear the Lord are influenced by holy angels who oppose such propositions with unanswerable arguments. Thus a few men will hold in check a powerful current of evil. The opposition of the enemies of truth will be restrained that the third angel's message may do its work. When the final warning shall be given, it will arrest the attention of the leading men through whom the Lord is now working, and some of them will accept it and will stand with the true people of God through the time of trouble. And now from Great Controversy, page 614. When he leaves the sanctuary, darkness covers the inhabitants of the earth. The restraint which has been upon the wicked is removed, and Satan has entire control of the finally impenitent. God's long-suffering has ended. Satan will then plunge the inhabitants of the earth into one great final trouble. As the angels of God cease to hold in check the fierce winds of human passion, all the elements of strife will be let loose. The whole world will be involved in ruin more terrible than that which came upon Jerusalem of old. Did you notice that despite the fact that a few voices will hold in restraint the determined agenda of the powers that be, they will eventually remove religious liberty completely anyway. God's people will be the center of attention. They will be hated and proscribed. They will be painted as the cause of all the problems of humanity. If we didn't have the Bible to tell us the rest of the, of the story, we would be overwhelmed with despair. I'm going to tell you some things that happened recently because I think you need to understand how America is now controlled by similar principles. What was the purpose of the Trump administration? I believe that God allowed it for a number of reasons. 
But one that sticks out in my mind is one that most people never thought about. It was to show God's people what universal execration looks like. While Donald Trump stood for many things that America used to be, like religious liberty, sovereignty, and freedom from control by foreign and domestic powers, he was not aligned with Catholic principles. He pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement, which the papacy sees as the key to globalism which puts Rome in the driver's seat in global policy. Mr. Trump did many other things to anger the globalists, of which the Pope is foremost. He withdrew from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the North American Free Trade Agreement, the WHO, the UN Human Rights Council, and a number of other agreements. And world leaders hated him, and global coalitions of nations tried to work against him. The media dissed him at every turn. He was eventually banned from social media. He was universally despised. Trump was so popular with the people and powerful that they had to unleash a pandemic on the whole world to bring his economic policies to their knees. And they had to commit massive fraud to prevent him from getting re-elected, and no court would review it, leaving us to wonder why. Were they threatened or something? Though God's people are a whole lot different than Donald Trump, you can see how universal execration works. I hope you took good notes. I was paying attention, and I thought, here was a full-on example of what that means with a different kind of target, of course. We don't know what will happen to Mr. Trump, ultimately. We know that the death penalty will be meted out to God's faithful ones when they are universally execrated. Now that Mr. Biden is president, America is back in the good graces of the globalists. With a Roman Catholic executive a predominantly Roman Catholic Supreme Court, and a largely compliant Congress that is about one-third Roman Catholic and most of the rest ecumenical evangelicals. America has, has been served up on a silver platter, and Rome couldn't be happier. If you were paying attention, you would have seen the Hegelian dialectic in powerful, sweeping, global play. And God's people have to give the message that Babylon is fallen and identify the beast. And people hate the truth, even worldly truth. In this worsening hatred for all things truth, what do you think is going to happen to the Bible and its truth? A stage is being set. We will have to call people out of Babylon like Moses called the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses had to give Pharaoh a message of true worship that the true God requires, and so will we come out of her, my people, to worship God. Moses essentially said, Pharaoh met Moses' request with more punishing opposition 
and oppression of his people. He placed more burdens upon them. Exodus 5, 10-14 And the taskmasters of the people went out, and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye, get you straw where ye can find it. Yet not aught of your work shall be diminished. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters hasted them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily tasks, as when, ye, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore have ye not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today, as heretofore? Pharaoh targeted God's specific instructions to Israel. He deliberately tried to circumvent their request by increasing their burdens so that there was no hope of going into the wilderness to worship. Before the close of probation, the enemies of God will target God's revealed will. The people of God will be prohibited from keeping the Sabbath holy. And to make even more odious the law to oppress them, the enemy will inspire men to especially require the people of God to violate the Sabbath by secular work on the seventh day thus fulfilling the same principle, severe and odious violation of the conscience of God's people. The Egyptian taskmasters were very severe. Pharaoh, having decreed an unrighteous decree and after demonizing the people in the eyes of his taskmasters, the taskmasters were free to be especially mean to the children of Israel. They enforced the decree with grievous rigor. The Bible tells us to pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2 The enmity of the dragon against God's people is such that it breaks through all the laws of reason, honor, humanity, and common justice. Notice that the Israelites were dispersed throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble. This was probably the means by which Pharaoh's injustice became known to all the kingdom, and perhaps they were pitied by, the, by some of the Egyptians, making Pharaoh's government less acceptable even to his own subjects. Goodwill is never gained by persecution. The Israelite officers were used with particular harshness. They were leaders, and as leaders they paid dearly for their role by being made an example and punished severely. They were responsible for the quantity of work, and when they didn't meet their quota because of the unreasonable demands, they were beaten. In every age, the leaders in proclaiming the truth 
or leaders of reformatory movements have received the worst of the persecution. And so it will be at the time of the end. Those who are leaders among God's last generation will suffer more than others for the defense of the truth. These will not be anyone who has been compromised, for they will be removed from their role as leaders. They will yield to the pressure. But faithful leaders, humble leaders, are the target of the enemy's malice. What strange steps God sometimes takes to deliver his people. He often brings them to the utmost straits when he then delivers them. He allows them to get to a humanly hopeless state. Then he works. It seems that at the darkest period, when all seems lost, that God delivers his people. At the lowest ebb, angels stand ready to interpose. Very cloudy mornings produce the fairest days. It's a paradox. God's time to help is when things are at their worst. The worse, the better. Listen to this from Great Controversy, page 636. It is at midnight that God manifests his power for the deliverance of his people. The sun appears shining in his strength. Signs and wonders follow in quick succession. The wicked look with terror and amazement upon the scene, while the righteous behold with solemn joy the tokens of their deliverance. Everything in nature seems turned out of its course. The streams cease to flow. Dark, heavy clouds come up and clash against each other. In the midst of the angry heavens is one clear space of indescribable glory, whence comes the voice of God like the sound of many waters, saying, It is done. Revelation 16:17. Now let us read Exodus 5, 15-23. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? There is no straw given to thy servants, and they say to us, Make brick, and behold, thy servants are beaten. But the fault is thine own. But he said, Ye are idle, ye are idle, therefore ye say, Go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet ye shall deliver the tale of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel did not see that they were in evil case, after it was said, Ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses, Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way, as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look upon you, and judge, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of the Pharaoh, and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned to the Lord, and said, Lord, Wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, 
He hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. The Egyptian taskmasters had appointed Hebrew officers over the people, and it was their duty to see that the Israelites filled their quarters of work. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 258, says, When the requirement of the king was put in force, the people scattered themselves throughout the land to gather the stubble instead of straw. But they found it impossible to accomplish the usual amount of labor. For this failure, the Hebrew officers were cruelly beaten. These officers supposed that their oppression came from their taskmasters and not from the king himself, and they went to him with their grievance. Their remonstrance was met by Pharaoh with a taunt, Ye are idle, ye are idle. Therefore ye say, Let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. They were ordered back to their work with the decoration that their burdens were in no case to be lightened. Returning, they met Moses and Aaron and cried out to them, The Lord look upon you and judge. The officer's complaint to Pharaoh was just, but Pharaoh taunted them and they complained that they were almost dead from working. But Pharaoh said that they were idle. They were fatigued with their work, yet they were under a cloud because they said, Let us go and do sacrifice. It is common for the best actions to be mentioned under the worst names. Have you ever experienced that? Your best intentions treated as evil or viewed with suspicion. I have, and it's not pleasant. Even your friends construe your best actions as done with malice or advantage, or for profit. Your diligent efforts are censored by people who know nothing of what sacrifices you have made. I'm glad men are not our judges. God is our judge, and knows on what principles we act. Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, so what can we expect from the unrighteous but more unrighteousness? They unjustly complained to Moses, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savour to be whored in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. That's verse 21. This was not fair to Moses and Aaron. They had given sufficient evidence of their hearty goodwill to work in the dangerous work of liberating God's people. Yet, because the Israelites did not get immediate results of the thing they had hoped for, they were reproached as accessories to, the sla to their slavery. They should have humbled themselves before God and repented of their shameful sin. But instead they fly in the face of their best friends. They quarrel with the instruments of deliverance because of some little difficulties and obstructions that they met along the way. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 259. As Moses listened to these reproaches, he was greatly distressed. 
the sufferings of the people had been much increased. All over the land a cry of despair went up from old and young, and all united in charging upon him the disastrous change in their condition. In bitterness of soul he went before God. Those that are called to public service for the Lord in each generation must expect to be tried, not only by loud threats of their avowed enemies, but by the unjust and unkind criticism and censure of unthinking friends who judge by outward appearance and look only a little distance into the future. Moses did what we must do in every circumstance like this. He prayed to God. He was grieved in his heart that Pharaoh's action did not meet his expectations, but rather contradicted them. Their rebuke was like a sword that pierced him. Moses acquainted the Lord with the problem. He knew what he had said and done was done by divine direction. Therefore, he considers that what is done to him is reflecting on God. Therefore, he spreads it before him as an interested party in the cause. When we find ourselves at any time perplexed and embarrassed in following our duty, we should go to God and lay open our case before him by faithful and fervent prayer. Moses was troubled. Is this God coming down to de deliver his people? He must have wondered. Must I, who hope to be a blessing to them, become a scourge instead? By this attempt to get them out of the pit, they were but sunk in deeper. Now listen to Patriarchs and Prophets, page 259. During all the years of servitude in Egypt, there had been among the Israelites some who adhered to the worship of Jehovah. These were sorely troubled as they saw their children daily witnessing the abominations of the heathen and even bowing down to their false gods. In their distress they cried unto the Lord for deliverance from the Egyptian yoke, that they might be freed from the corrupting influence of idolatry. They did not conceal their faith, but declared to the Egyptians that the object of their worship was the maker of heaven and earth, the only true and living God. They rehearsed the evidences of his existence and power from creation down to the days of Jacob. The Egyptians thus had an opportunity to become acquainted with the religion of the Hebrews, but disdaining to be instructed by their slaves, they tried to seduce the worshippers of God by promises of reward and this failing by threats and cruelty. Wherefore hast thou so evil treated this people, Moses asks in verse 22. When God comes in mercy to his people, he sometimes uses methods that, may th that they may think themselves severely treated. But God allows this so they may learn to cease from man and trust God. Moses said, Why is it thou hast sent me? He complains of his ill success. Pharaoh has done evil to this people, 
and not one step seems to be taken toward their deliverance. What a position to be in. God was testing everybody, Moses and the children of Israel and even Pharaoh. Would they believe God's will and follow his instruction? Patriarchs and Prophets, page 260. The Hebrews had expected to obtain their freedom without any special trial of their faith or any real suffering from hardship, but they were not yet prepared for deliverance. They had little faith in God and were unwilling patiently to endure their affliction until he should see fit to work for them. Many were content to remain in bondage rather than meet the difficulties attending removal to a strange land. And the habits of some had become so much like those of the Egyptians that they preferred to dwell in Egypt. Therefore the Lord did not deliver them by the first manifestation of his power before Pharaoh. He overruled events more fully to develop the tyrannical spirit of the Egyptian king and also to reveal himself to his people. Beholding his justice, his power, and his love, they would choose to leave Egypt and give themselves to his service. The task of Moses would have been much less difficult had not many of the Israelites become so corrupted that they were unwilling to leave Egypt. My friends, God wants to deliver his people today, but they are not ready. We are going to have to experience hardship and trial just like the Israelites in Egypt. The modern Egyptians all around us are strengthening their power. We can watch it in the news and feel it in the atmosphere. They don't want anything to do with Christianity. They continue their wickedness and licentiousness. The enemy is building a massive global cabal, a coalition of nations, of businesses, and of society to fight God and his people in one last effort to rule the whole world and everybody in it. It will be a battle of major consequences. Do you want to be ready for this battle? I do. I have to take time to know God and let him rule my life and do away with sin in my life if I want to be ready to stand. It's almost time. We are farther down the track than we think. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we see the end approaching and we see the crisis on the horizon, but we also see the deliverance so long promised your people. Please make us ready. Please take our sins away and help us to overcome them. We are far from what you want us to be. And help us, we pray, to have faith and move quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. the mind.
We hope you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is entitled, I'll Go Where You Want Me To Go, sung by Christian Berdahl. It is recorded on a, on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Consecration. If you like to have a copy, just send $16 postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we will send you one. Just mention the Consecration CD. Other international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month over 42.6 million abortions conducted in 2020, surpassing world's leading causes of death. Over 42 million abortions occurred in 2020, far surpassing the totals of people who perished as a result of the world's leading causes of death. According to the data compiled by the Worldometer, a reference website that monitors statistics on health, the global population, the use of resources and deaths in real time, over 40 million abortions are performed worldwide annually. The website tabulates statistics on abortion made available from the World Health Organization. The last available snapshot of the Worldometer as it appeared on New Year's Eve, captured by the Internet Archive tool, the Wayback Machine, reveals that more than 42.6 million abortions were performed worldwide in 2020. By comparison, communicable diseases killed more than 13 million people worldwide in 2020. About 8.2 million people worldwide lost their lives to cancer, while nearly 5.1 million people and 2.5 million people succumbed to death as a result of smoking and alcohol, respectively. According to John Hopkins University, more than 1.8 million people worldwide died of coronavirus in 2020. Other leading causes of death in 2020 included road traffic accidents fatalities, of which there were nearly 1.4 million. Additionally, suicides are responsible for nearly 1.1 million deaths across the globe. The total number of deaths worldwide in 2020, excluding abortions, was nearly 59 million. But if abortions were counted as a cause of death rather than just another health statistic, the global death total in 2020 would increase more than 100 million. The number of pregnancies terminated worldwide in 2020 is greater than the total number of people that succumbed to all other leading causes of death listed. The year 2020 is not the first where the total number of abortions has surpassed the totals of people who died from the leading causes of death. As previously reported, Worldometer reported that there were about 42.4 million abortions that occurred in 2019. While abortion is the leading cause of death worldwide, it has also been the leading cause of death in the United States in recent years. According to the Pro-Abortion Guttmucker Institute, 
862,320 abortions were performed in the U.S. in 2017. That same year, heart disease, which is frequently cited as the leading cause of death in the U.S., took the lives of 647,457 Americans according to the Centers for Disease Control. In 2017, the total number of deaths in the United States, excluding abortions, was 2,813,503. Already in 2021, Worldometer shows that there have been over 435,000 abortions since the beginning of the new year, worldwide as of Monday evening. As abortion remained the leading cause of death worldwide in 2020, Countries across the world elected to take drastically different public policy approaches regarding the polarizing issue. Last week, Argentina's legislator passed a bill allowing elective abortions to take place during the first 14 weeks of pregnancy. Previously, the South American country only allowed abortions if a woman was raped or if her life was in jeopardy as a result of the pregnancy. In October 2020, Poland's constitutional tribunal, the country's equivalent of a Supreme Court, ruled that a law permitting abortions based on fetal defects violated the country's constitution. The ruling had the effect of making abortions legal in Poland only in cases of rape or incest or if the mother's life or health were at risk. A survey conducted last year by Ipsos found that support for abortion had dropped in most countries worldwide since Ipsos first began tracking the world's attitude about abortion in 2014. Worldwide, the support for abortion dropped from 72% in 2014 to 70% in 2020. The strongest decline in support for abortion was recorded in Germany, where support decreased by 9%. Other countries where support for abortion dropped in that time period included Sweden, France, the United Kingdom, and Spain. While Belgium, Australia, Canada, and Argentina saw support for abortion increase from 2014 to 2020, no country saw as pronounced an increase as South Korea, where support rose by 20%. Quote, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Luke 17:26. Next, Fauci says mandatory COVID-19 vaccines possible for travel, school. Dr. Anthony Fauci said it's possible that COVID-19 vaccines will become mandatory in order to travel to other countries or attend school. Quote, everything will be on the table for discussion. Fauci, who will be chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden, told Newsweek. The director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases stressed that it's, quote, not up to me to make a decision, but added that these are the things that will be discussed under the Biden administration. I'm not sure the COVID-19 vaccine going to be mandatory from a central government standpoint, like the federal government mandates, Fauci said, though he added that he's sure that some individual institutions will require the shot. Fauci said vaccine requirements in schools are possible, but they would come from mandates at the state or city level. Quote, a citywide school system might require it in some cities, but not in other cities. And that's what I mean by things not being done centrally, but locally, Fauci said. In regard to travel, Fauci said the U.S. could potentially issue COVID-19 vaccine passports similar to the ones planned for Israel that would allow residents to travel abroad without being tested for coronavirus. 
The coronavirus vaccine might also become required by other countries to go there, Fauci said. Quote, so we in this country don't require people to get a yellow fever vaccine when you go someplace. It's the place to which you are going that requires it, he said. About 3.2 million initial doses of the Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines have been given to Americans since the inoculations were first approved last month, according to a Bloomberg tally. If you don't get the vaccine, it will be difficult to travel. Quote, we have no time to lose. The end is near. The passage from place to place to spread the truth will soon be hedged with dangers on the right hand and on the left. Everything will be placed to obstruct the way of the Lord's messengers so that they will not be able to do that which it is possible for them to do now. We must look our work fairly in the face and advance as fast as possible in aggressive warfare. From the light given me of God, I know that the powers of darkness are working with intense energy from beneath. And with stealthy tread, Satan is advancing to take those who are now asleep as a wolf taking his prey. We have warnings now which we may give, a work now which we may do, but soon it will be more difficult than we can imagine. God help us to keep the channel of light, to work with our eyes fastened on Jesus our leader, and patiently, perseveringly press on to gain the victory. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 6, page 22. Next, proposed house rules seek to erase gender terms such as father, mother, Son, daughter. Leaders in the House of Representatives announced on Friday a rules package for the 117th Congress that includes a proposal to use, quote, gender inclusive language and eliminate gender terms such as father, mother, son, daughter, and more. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat, California, and Rules Committee Chairman James McGovern, Democrat, Massachusetts, announced on Friday that the rules package includes changes that would honor all gender identities by changing pronouns and familial relationships in the House rules to be gender neutral. A separate announcement from McGovern said that the Democratic rules package will make changes to pronouns and familial relationships in the House rules to be gender neutral or removes references to gender as appropriate to ensure we are inclusive of all members delegates, resident commissioners, and their families, including those who are non-binary. Terms to be struck from Clause 8C3 of Rule 23, the House's Code of Official Conduct, as outlined in the proposed rules, include, quote, father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, first cousin, nephew, niece, husband, wife, father-in-law, mother-in-law, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, stepfather, stepmother, stepson, stepdaughter, stepbrother, stepsister, half-brother, half-sister, grandson, and granddaughter. Such terms would be replaced with parent, child, sibling, parent-sibling, first cousin, sibling's child, spouse, parent-in-law, child-in-law, sibling-in-law, step-parent, step-child, step-sibling, half-sibling, and grandchild. According to the proposed rules, quote, seamen would be replaced with seafarers and chairman would be replaced with chair in Rule 10 of the House.
Pelosi and McGovern said that the overall package, quote, includes sweeping ethics reforms, increases accountability for the American people, and makes this House of Representatives the most inclusive in history. The rules package includes removing floor privileges from former Congress members who have been convicted of crimes related to their House service or election. It would also make it, quote, a violation of the Code of Official Conduct for a member, officer, or employee of the House to disclose the identity of a whistleblower. It also establishes a new select committee on economic disparity and fairness in growth to, quote, investigate, study, make findings, and develop recommendations on policies, strategies, and innovations to empower American economic growth while ensuring that no one is left out or behind in the 21st century economy. The rules package will be introduced and voted on once the new Congress convenes. Quote, Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Luke 17, 28, and 30. Next, Israel, telephone conversation between Pope and President Rivlin. As the end of the year approaches, Pope Francis had a telephone conversation with the President of the State of Israel. Reuven Rivlin reported the Italian agency SIR on December 15, 2020. The exchange took place on December 14, specifies the Twitter account of the Embassy of Israel to the Holy See. According to the presidential spokesman, the Pope thanked the President for his efforts aimed at building trust between peoples and confirmed that he remembers him as a man of peace in his prayers. The President expresses gratitude for the Pope's profound friendship and invited him to inaugurate the project Land of Monasteries, of which he spoke to the Pope during his two visits to the Vatican. The Israeli president wished the Pope and Christians worldwide a happy Christmas and good year. Pope Francis wished him in Hebrew a good feast of Hanukkah. Hanukkah Sameah, said the spokesman. Quote, During our last meeting, you prayed for peace in the Middle East, and happily your prayer was heard. We have a new era of peace agreements in the Middle East, the Israeli president also said to the pontiff. The subjects of the coronavirus and vaccines were also raised in the course of the conversation. Hanukkah and Christmas, said the president, are two celebrations in the course of which families and communities generally come together. With the coronavirus restrictions, it will be very hard for all of us to celebrate. The president added that last month he met the heads of Christian denominations and that they work in close collaboration to find solutions that take into account religious and health requirements. Land of Monasteries is a project created to promote tourism in the area of monasteries and churches along the Jordan, where according to Christian tradition, John the Baptist baptized Christ and his disciples. These last years, President Rivlin has promoted the project to enable more tourists to visit the region, in order to develop it as a place of pilgrimage. The work foresees collaboration with Jordanian partners located on the other side of the Jordan. Quote, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Revelation 13, 3. 
Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.